Welcome to the reboot of Permaculture Tonight, an abundant future with Matt Powers. I am so excited about this. My new book, The Permaculture Student 2, is finally done so I can dedicate some time in communicating and teaching more. I'm so excited. And one of the things that I'm working on that I really want to share just right off the bat is a new course of mine called Permaculture Gardening. I had the first group of students go through it uh, the past eight weeks, and they said it was one of the best courses they've ever taken. Some people are saying that you know they, they, they need to take it again. They loved it so much. Um, it has been an incredible experience for me as a teacher to see my design teaching be fully understood and implemented, to have students present designs at the ending where I am just marveling. I don't need to provide very much correction or suggestion because they were paying attention and because the course was designed correctly. It's taken me you know, years of working in an online setting with education to really hone down the skills that I have now in communication, in group coaching, in highly interactive online environment. And I'm so excited that it's finally coming together and it's really getting good. So please don't deny yourself joining my class. It's going to be incredible. Um, if you check out the permaculturestudent.com, the gardening course is under courses there, and you can read all about it. You can read what people are saying about it, and you can see examples. It's so much fun. Uh, and so the way it works is uh, I have a short video, like 30 to 40 minutes, and then throughout the week I answer questions about it and then do a live Q&A with just the class on their concerns and their questions. And then I'm always answering questions and giving feedback on designs and what leads to our designs in class. So check that out if you're needing help or if you want to really dig into gardening on a next level, which is what permaculture is. So something else I'm working on is another new book. I know the Permaculture Student 2 is the ebook's out and the printing has begun. And so that's sort of coming out. I have another book coming out called The Five Steps to Reverse the Collapse. And I want to read you the introduction because it's incredibly important to me and I feel like it's going to be incredibly important to you. So here we go. A holistic collapse. The economy, the environment, politics, health, society. Turn on the news and it's immediately in your face. The fear, the panic, and the utter lack of hope. The belief that we are doomed, damned, or destined for extinction has become pandemic. It has infected religion, culture, entertainment, science, governments, hearts, and minds across the globe. In a way, it is a self-fulfilling prophecy. If we believe we will fail, then we will fail. That much is certain, but what isn't certain is if we can reverse the imbalance, if only because it is uncertain whether we all, will all change and accept a new story together. What we aren't hearing in this dystopian fear-based hallucination is the truth. The reality, which is that we can generate and restore our environment. We can stop the destruction that we call the status quo, both in the environment and our cultures. We can stop funding the wholesale destruction of our collective future and start funding and co-creating a future of regeneration and abundance. That's what natural systems provide. In this holistic context we call nature, all biodiversity, economies, governments, sciences, social systems, and all that is human and not human take place. 
If we partner with the same systems that created and maintained the world into which humans came to be in, we will find stability and abundance. We can reboot the natural world before it erases this current operating system and adopts a new framework in which humans and mammals cannot thrive. Climate change is very real and exponentially increasing in tandem with its many indicators, such as desertification, deforestation, habitat loss, mass extinction, global average temperature changes, ice melt, sea rise, etc. All climate change is related to imbalance in the environment and a displacement or degradation of the foundational systems of a biome, those being soils, forests, waterways, bodies of water, and biodiversity. Human systems have degraded or destroyed these foundational pillars to our environment globally. We've logged or burned all forests to a fraction of what they were. We're driving one of the largest extinction events in planetary history. We've destroyed the majority of the world's topsoils. And we poisoned and imbalanced the ocean systems. In geological history, we've seen natural examples of destruction at the scale that humans have wrought in modern times, but it's rare, isolated, and a temporary reset of natural secession, while what we are doing is more akin to a comet hitting the planet. What's in this book is a plan. A series of steps that need to be taken if we are to reverse the damage and pull back from the edge of extinction. They are the steps that they are steps that imply a great amount of change in the way we behave and think as a species globally and as individuals. But if we do these steps and evolve past scarcity thinking and embrace centropic thinking, we will find the future waiting for us is abundant and exponentially bright. Thank you so much. The rest of that is already sketched out and ready to go. I'm probably going to finish writing that small, short book this week. Today's interview is with James Lennox. He is the sole operator of the hydro plant, Ragged Shoots, which used to be the air plant, Ragged Shoots, that is so famously known for its tromp and example of free energy that it really does work. The first one I had heard of uh, using gravity um, water pressure from gravity to run a machine or a system was Peter Hoff outside St. Petersburg where they used air pressure to drive the fountains, the dancing fountains. And the air plant, which was in, in operation for over 70 years in Ontario, was shut down for a very specific reason and it was not revealed online until this interview. And I'm so excited to share the full story. And to, to, to give heart and give hope because the story continues. So let's just dive right in. How about you tell us about how you came to arrive at the job and, and or even hear about um, this air plant concept? Well, I'll try and make it a short story. I uh, I came up here in 2009 to fix the Ragged Shoot hydro station. And I grew up working for my father, who was uh, an extremely good electrician. 
And <clears throat> when I got up here, he phoned me and told me to take pictures of this air plant. And I had just assumed it was going to be like some kind of water wheel running a piston pump. So uh, when I went over to have a look at it, I, I realized why it piqued his interest so much because there was no moving parts to it. It was uh, simply f phenomenal how this thing produced what it produced with, with no mechanical help. And uh, so I got the dam fixed, and then uh, shortly thereafter, the operator retired, and I had a chance to take over, and uh, it's a nice spot. So I thought, what the heck, and uh, we pulled up roots from just west of Ottawa and moved up here. It's, it'll be five years of spring. Wow. Okay, awesome. So, the, so it, it's a water plant now, but it once was something much more unique, right? Okay. Right. Right, very unique. Um, so do you, do you want to describe it? Because you're an engineer. You probably can describe it much better than I can. Well, there's lots of information online about it. And, I, and in my book, it, and in my book. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I, can, I can describe it in, in the beginning anyway, if you don't feel like doing that. So everyone is curious, though, about like what's left of the actual air plant. And can it be resurrected? Can we do it again? Well, there's not a lot left. Like, the, the structure is deteriorating bad. Um, the, uh, see, when the, when the mines weren't running, the, uh, the excess air pressure would blow off from the bottom of the river and make this massive geyser uh, in the canyon below the air plant. So it was a real tourist attraction for the locals. And... Uh, like when the plant was running and the mines were running, uh, every Sunday was the uh, the most active time for this geyser to be blowing off. So after church, the whole town would go down to the canyon and sit and, and watch this uh, old faithful, you know, going off all day. <laughs> and uh, so as as the mines stopped running and the air the uh, usage of air went down, eventually uh, it became a safety issue having all these people down there on the weekends, not, uh, not behind a fence or anything. It's, it's a fairly uh, substantial cliff where the outlet pipe is. So somebody decided to just destroy the pipe coming from the, the bottom of the river up to the uh, distribution house. And uh, shortly thereafter, there was a fire that burnt the building off the top of the intake. Uh, there's still a building over the, the gatehouse that, that uh, regulates the water into the plant but the building that was over top of the actual vertical shafts, uh, it's gone and, you know, all the steel's uh, twisted and it's pretty unsafe and we're kind of at the point now where we're going to have to decide, you know, it, is it going to get torn down or, or what can we do with it to... Uh, we have to maintain the stability of the dam structure and it, it is still currently part of the, the dam structure that the... Uh, the hydro station runs off of wow that's fascinating okay so that's probably why yeah, the I, insurance I, company definitely got it to, i mean because those are insurance company um concerns wow that's awesome i'm yeah, so glad you, you you that was the missing piece in my understanding for why that insurance company got to do that yeah there was a big push in ontario about 10 years ago there was some people uh 
some people killed downstream of a dam. So there's been a real big push on public safety to uh, to fence these places off where the public shouldn't be going. And uh, this has fallen victim to it too. Well, well, that's fascinating. Oh, wow. All right. So tell us about the hydro station. It's an award-winning hydro station. It's a, it's a nice little plant. It's 6.6 megawatts. It's one unit. It's a, uh, a horizontal Kaplan, which is like a, a, a propeller in water. Uh, it's, so it's a big uh, water a wheel. Producer. Sorry? So is it like a big water wheel? Uh, no, it's a uh, it's your typical hydro station. It's just built on a on a horizontal axis, not a uh, a lot of plants. The, the turbine is is underneath the the generator and everything's standing on top of each other. This one's laid out on its side. It, it's uh, they call it an S turbine. There's a an offset to it. Does that and, make it easier uh, to work on? Do you ever have to repair it? Does that make it like easier to work on, or what's the advantage of that? Uh, there is advantages. Uh, the disadvantage is it takes a bigger building uh, because it is all laid out on its side. Uh, I, it's hard to say. It has its its, its drawbacks and its pluses, but uh, it's it's. I've been there five years and it's it's been a, a pretty reliable machine. Uh, you know, um, we call it the utilization factor, where you take the output of the plant times 24 hours in a day, 365 days a year. And this plant produces around 75 to 80% utilization factor, which is pretty phenomenal for uh, a run-of-the-river plant. Wow. We are uh, probably generating anywhere from 42 to 45 gigawatts a year. So what does that power? Do you, uh, do you sell that power to the grid? Um, do you sell it to that local town? Or how does that work? No, we have a, uh, a contract with the, the province here where we sell it uh, directly into the grid, and it's it's used mostly locally. That is awesome. So it's it's local power runoff of, uh, and it's a, it's a local river, right? Yeah. Yes, the Montreal River. And did you guys divert it so that it goes down and and you can protect the the, the main river, or how did that work? Uh, no, um, I've seen pictures of the the, the original site when it was just a, a logging camp mm -hmm. uh, back in the very early 1900s, and uh, I can still make it out. You know that the the, uh, the spillway is uh, the spillway beside the air is is basically all original except we put a new uh, a new weir in a diversion weir. And uh, everything feeding the, the hydro station is underground, so it, it really didn't change the topography much other than just the, the hydro station at the base of the hill. Wow, okay. That's fascinating. So, so the cobalt is, is, is bust? There's no more cobalt in the area, just the town name? Well, no, there is, uh, there is prospecting going on, and there may be a resurgence in the mining of cobalt here. Um, like originally it was a silver that drove the mines and uh, the, the mines could basically make a living off of the cobalt that they extracted with the silver and the silver was kind of above and beyond and uh, the price of silver isn't that great for them to 
undertake mining it right now. I think they're just sitting on it until the uh, the supply goes down or demand goes up. But uh, apparently there's been a, a shortage of cobalt and they're uh, they're looking at starting up a couple more mines. But for the most part right now, there's only one or two mines in operation where back in, I think in 1910, there was 104 mines operating in the area that were running off of that, uh, that air plant. Wow, they all ran off the one air plant. So do you think that because of the tradition that this air plant represents in the area, do you think that they will try to do something similar like that if, when they did that? And would environmentally, would that be allowed to divert water for that purpose? Well, it's, it's possible. Um, I don't see them restarting this plant, though. Um, it'd be a, a big job, and uh, and just the uh, the permitting and whatnot. But it's hard to say. Like it's it's become so unknown what that plant was. Like when you really leave the area of cobalt, there's not a lot of people that that know that that it, it even existed, which uh, I find really remarkable. And, and that's what drew me to it in the first place was like, I always thought my dad knew everything. And then when, when, uh, he phoned me up, you know, intrigued by what this was, that's what really piqued my interest in it was, you know, why, why it grabbed him. Yeah. And you know, and, uh, I, no, I don't, I, Oh, what were we saying? I, I don't see it ever starting again, not this one. Right. Uh, there is, somebody was building one last year in a mining town south of here, Sudbury, and uh, they were doing it in a, an old mine shaft. Holy and cow. And it was going to be a much smaller unit. It was maybe maybe produce a tenth of, uh, of, what, of what this one produced in, in uh, cubic feet of air in a, in a minute. That's incredible. But, uh, yeah, it was, I was reading it online that... Uh, it was supposed to be started up uh, late last year, I think, but uh, I couldn't find anything if on the results of if it worked for them or not. Wow. So that was Sudbury? Yeah. Wow. Okay. And it's uh, yeah. Ontario, too? Yes. Okay. Awesome. We will figure that out. That is incredible. So it is catching. So if this can catch on, I mean... <sighs> I know that China has tons of running water in certain provinces, uh, and they—that's where the Three Gorges Dam, you know, consolidated into what it is. Um, so this—I mean, this could be huge. It should be huge. <laughs> there's, there's really no reason why. Like, I've worked in industry for 25 years, and that's always been your biggest concern. Is you know, not to waste air because air is one of the most expensive things in industry. And, and especially here in Ontario where the, the price of hydro is just astronomical, you know, well, if, if you could produce air for, for nothing. So how slow like, does the water come out? Uh, I thought I, I was under the impression that it geysers, the water uh, geysers out even when you're taking uh, air pressure out of it. Um, or is it just no, a low flow? The geyser only happened when there was a buildup of pressure in in the uh, in the horizontal tunnel underneath the river. The uh, the buildup of air pressure would drive the level of water down, and it would expose a blow off pipe. And then when as the pressure dropped, the level would come back up in that uh, horizontal shaft 
and then seal that pipe back off. So it was dependent on usage. You know, the uh, if there was lots of stuff running, there uh, there was no blow off. Ha! Wow. But the other interesting thing about it is that uh, like when you compress air with electricity, you always have your mechanical losses turn up in the form of heat, and because of the cold water and the cold cave walls, all the heat was left inside the uh, the, the horizontal shaft. So what it did was it, it left all the water in the shaft. The air was basically dry when it came out, uh, much drier. Like uh, before the air plant was operational, they were running like uh, coal generators uh, to produce their compressed air. And that heat generated in the process always created condensation. And when you're working in a mine at the bottom with an air tool, all the water is going to come to the bottom. And uh, they were constantly plugging their tools up and wearing them out. And when the air plant was online, that was one of the, uh, the real pluses with it is that the air was already dry, which is another big expense in industry is, is uh, running air dryers. Yeah. Oh, and, and I mean, you probably are saving money on sickness and illness from all the people that are dealing with mold and mildew, too. <laughs> and coal. <laughs> well, yeah, that too. <laughs> I just thinking about tunnels in general. But yes, yes, cold. That wouldn't be a good thing. Black lung and all. <laughs> so this is incredible. So this is this is leveraging something that, you know, is a potential... Yeah, it just leverages it in all these different ways. It's fascinating. So I'm excited. Thank you so much for talking to us. That was information oh, packed. Um, is there anything else that you can uh, that you wanted to share? Uh, I could talk all day about it, but I, I'm really not telling you anything you can't find online. Um, no, like it's just it's a really interesting site. Uh, I'm really hoping that sometime in the future uh, somebody recognizes it and does something to maybe try it and preserve it and and uh, and get the word out. Like, it really should be a, a World Heritage Site. You know, uh, wow. it, it's phenomenal what this guy did with such a simple idea. So and, uh, my idea was to fly he, up there and film it. My idea was to fly up there and film it. That, uh, that'd be great. And, and I mean, if you've got contacts for people who actually worked there while it was live, or maybe I could hunt the town, but I'd love to get interviews for people from people who actually worked there. Uh, have you watched the video online when they they did some uh, some experimenting with it back in the late '80s? No, you gotta send us this uh, it, video. I have a link on on my Facebook page. Okay. Okay. And, uh, it was kind of the, the last thing they did before they decommissioned it, and uh, they did some experimenting. I think the thought process was they were uh, contemplating using it in in natural gas turbines as as uh, the air compressor system in them, and uh, they hung like two inch PVC pipes down inside the uh, the inlet pipes to try and introduce a little bit more air to it and make it a little bit more efficient. Yeah. Uh, but while they were doing this test, there was no air being used, so the full force of that air was blowing off the bottom of the river. It, it is amazing the uh, the geyser that was there. Like, uh, 
I've stood on the side of the hill where where they filmed it, and uh, it's got to be at least 250 feet high. The uh, the water spout. Like, That's uh, I'd heard about it when I came up here. And, you know, I heard anywhere from 100 feet to 300 feet, and I thought, well, it's probably 75 feet. You know, you know how stories go over time. But, uh, but seeing that, it, it, it proved to me that it, it was phenomenal, the force that that air came off the bottom of the river. Oh, but, I'm excited. Uh, this is awesome. You, you, can, you can see. Sorry. I'm excited. This is awesome. You can. Uh, I, I think I do have other pictures on my Facebook page of the uh, of the intake house, what it looks like now, and on that video that's there, uh, it's pretty neat. You can you can like the easiest way of describing it is like there's 144 toilets all flushing continuously at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy, well that's incredible. We're gonna share this video so that everyone can see it. Wow. I, I, I can't right wait on. to watch it. Okay, thank you so much for, for sharing with us. Maybe maybe sometime in the next year, I will fly up and meet you in person and uh, we can go for a, a, a tour and we'll document um, what we can. And then maybe I'll go down to Sudbury too and get the part two there. Right on. Right on. Well, uh, yeah, it would be good. Uh, you should do it soon because, like I say, it, it's it's in rough shape and it's getting worse and worse. And sooner or later, somebody's going to make a decision about it of uh, what its future is going to be. So you have my number and my email address. And uh, whenever you want to come up, I'm the only guy with the key. And I'd be happy to show it to you. Awesome. I can't wait. It sounds like that's something I got to do. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> All right, right Jay. On. Well, have a wonderful night. You too, and uh, where you're living now is there? You don't get snow there, do you? Uh, supposedly we do. Sometime we got snow like once. <laughs> uh, it was minus thirty-three centigrade here this morning, so count your blessings. It can always be worse. Yeah, it gets down to. Uh, uh, yeah, that's way cold. Holy cow! Yeah, <laughs> we're, we're nowhere near that. Yeah, so come up in the summer. <laughs> okay, that's a plan. We'll do so. All right, Jay, have a great one. You too. Awesome. Thanks uh, Thanks for talking with me. And thanks for coming on. Bye. No, not a problem. Take care. Bye. incredible thank you so much for joining us that was a real full circle moment for me because i've been researching ragged shoots for years now and to find out why you know it's shut down to find out that its work is being continued in ontario too really makes me feel like i need to get up there and film i'm excited about the future i'm excited about the possibilities if you want to learn about tromps and if you want to think about what Tromps can possibly do, check out The Permaculture Student 2. The ebook is at, on my website right now, thepermaculturestudent.com. 
and it is well worth the price. It's $30. It's well worth the price. You get tons of information in there that no other book has collected, no other book has organized like the way I have. And it is a new standard in permaculture. And I cannot wait for more people to read it. I've been sharing it like crazy. I'm sending it out to as many people as possible. It's an incredible accomplishment that involved many, many people from all over the world. Thank you so much for tuning in to the reboot of the uh, Permaculture Tonight, An Abundant Future with Matt Powers. I will talk to you soon. It won't be a long wait, and we'll have more things to discover and more hope to find. Have a great week.